April showers bring... What do May showers bring? More flowers? Frustration. And I'll explain why I say that. Yesterday, Jeanette and I went into town. I say town. We went into Omaha. went to Shields. And um, she had to go exchange some clothes for Eli at Carter's. And so I went over to uh, the sporting goods store. And you can't go to the sporting goods store without going to the golf section. Right? Come on now. Well, you can. I can't. So I go up there. And about a week ago, I ordered a new driver online. And I'm not talking about a chauffeur. I'm talking about a golf club. And they had, while I was there, they had the exact same golf club, 25% cheaper than when I bought it online. Frustrating, right? I bought it anyway. Because I'm going to send the other one back. So I get this, this great driver, and I don't have a lot of time in the day to go the rest of the day to swing that golf club. And then I wake up this morning to not only a downpour of rain, but lightning, and then the power went out this morning. Did anybody lose power this morning? Yeah, I did too. So now it looks like I might not even be able to get out and practice my golf swing with my new golf club. That is frustration right there. I know you guys can't relate, but hey. Maybe, maybe, you buy, maybe you're fishing and you bought a new fishing pole and you can't go use it. Okay, maybe, maybe you uh, bought a new pair of shoes. Well, I guess that doesn't relate, does it? That's okay. One of the things that I do, though, and my wife will attest to this, is that I don't make rash purchases. Do I? In the years that we've been married, have I ever, to your knowledge, ever bought anything on the spur of the moment? No. I err on the other side. It will take me a month to pick something out to buy. Like these pants. I have to, okay, I have, I have two pairs. I wasn't even going to go there, but thank you. I have two pairs of corduroys. This is one pair. I have another pair just like these. They're brown, light brown, kind of. My wife is very particular about corduroy in summer. So I don't wear, I don't wear corduroy June, July, or August. Why? Because I love my wife. <laughs> Has nothing to do with whether I think it's acceptable. It could, be, it could be 25 degrees in July, and she would not let me wear corduroys because corduroys are not summer clothes. Has nothing to do with my message. I, I'm going to try and find a way to get that in there. I don't know. But I don't make rash purchases, and so I think about things... Um, a lot, and usually, and this, this stems from how I was raised, as probably you've all heard me say before, we didn't have a lot of money growing up, and so we were very picky, and had to be very picky and choosy how we spent our money, so when I purchased something, 
I think about it intently because I want to make sure not only am I getting the best deal I could possibly get, but I really need what it is that I am. Now, with that, I am pretty much guaranteed to get the best deal that's out there. And I'm also pretty guaranteed to buy more than what I really need. Because that's just what I do. I wanted to buy a 65-inch TV to hang in, our, um, hang in our living room. But my wife says, our living room is not big enough for a 65-inch TV. She says, you can't, eat, you can't get a 60-inch TV because it'll be too big. So I listened to my wife, and I bought a 59-inch TV. <laughs> but it took me a long time and a lot of research to buy that. Because that's, that's how I think. That's how I... And, and as, as important as making sure you buy the right things is, what's even more important is making sure you are fulfilling the call God has placed on your life. And that's a very difficult thing to talk about because what God has called me to do is not going to be the same thing that God has called you to do. And so trying to figure out are we living in the call of God's life? Are we living the purpose God had created us for? It's very difficult, um, difficult to, to, to know for sure that you are living where God wants you to live. And while I can't say here are this, this checkbox of things, that if you check all of these and you're correcting all of these, then you are definitely living where God wants you to be. If that was the case, there would be no need for faith. And that's not how God wants us to live. So we're going to look a little bit at um, are we, are you as an individual, you as a family, living in the purpose that God wants for you? Now there are, there are two types of call. One is a general call that all believers are called to do. And the Bible is pretty explicit about what that is. Okay, as disciples of Jesus, we are called to go and make other disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father, to teach them, Matthew chapter 28. Those, that is a call that everybody is called to do and called to live in. But then there is a specific call that God has placed on people's lives for them to do. I am confident, 100% sure, that being pastor of this church is where God had called me at this point in time and for the next 18 years or so. Because I'm, I'm serious, I'm going to retire about 20 years from now. My wife doesn't think so because she doesn't believe pastors really retire. She thinks they just cut back on some of their work. But to, to keep up my golf habit, I have to cut back a lot of work. Why can I say that? Well, there are some certain things that we're going to look at in, in, in the story that will help us identify, that help me identify, help you identify um, what exactly, how exactly do I know for sure I'm living the call, has specific call has placed on my life. Now, first, I want, I want you to know this, okay? You are not living in the specific call on your life if you are not first living on the general call that God has placed on your life. So I mentioned earlier, everybody has a, a 
general call on their life, and that is to make disciples. You will never fulfill the specific call God has placed on your life if you are not doing the general call that God has placed on your life. So if you are not working at, bapt- at, at seeing people come to know God and being baptized in the Holy baptized, uh, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them, if you are not working in that area of your life as a general call, you will never be living in the specific call that God has placed you. Now, does that mean that you have to go out every day and say, you need Jesus, let's pray right now? No. Evangelism is, is a very, and I did a series on evangelism. I encourage you, if, if you have questions about how you, can, how you can live in that kind of call, listen to uh, the series I did on evangelism, and it, it might help such some light on how you can live in that general call. Specific call is completely different because our specific call is not based on the church in general. It's based on specifically how God has created us and what he wants us to do. And understanding and living in that is very difficult. So we're going to look at a story in the book of Judges. As you know, we've been We've been going through the Bible. We talked about Genesis and how Genesis is the beginning work of creation and God's redemptive work through the family of Abraham culminating in the life of Jesus. Exodus is about God's deliverance of the Hebrews from Egypt and the covenant he made with them on Mount Sinai. Leviticus is the instructions that God gave through Moses on how the Israelites could live a holy life. How could they could live in the presence of God? Numbers was about is a story about the Israelites moving through the wilderness to the edge of the promised land. And Deuteronomy is Moses' final words to the Israelites before they enter into the promised land. Then we looked at, at Joshua. And Joshua is just pretty much them, God fulfilling his promise in letting them overtake the the promised land. And then the distribution of the promised land. Now, there, there, there are two things that we need to understand. One is that while they occupied the promised land, they did not occupy the promised land the way God intended. Because God told them to drive out all of the people, and they didn't do it. And this is the, this is the reason their lack of being obedient in Joshua is the reason of, for their struggles... In, in Judges. Pretty powerful statement because it is a reflection of our lives today. When we do not fully obey the, the plans and the, and the precepts that God has placed for us, we find ourselves succumbing to the pressures of the world. Now, you're going to have pressures in the world. You, you know, temptations are going to come. Just because you feel, just because you're tempted does not mean you're not following God's will or you're not being obedient to God. But when you abandon the precepts of God and fail to hold tight to the precepts of God, that temptation, you are more likely to succumb to that temptation. Judges is the story of Israel's continual spiral downward from a people dedicated to Yahweh to a people who 
ultimately almost completely abandoned Yahweh as their God. We've talked about Othniel, Ehud, Shemgar, Deborah, Gideon, and Abimelech. Abimelech really wasn't a judge. He was what they call, he was an anti-judge. He was not called by God to lead Israel. He actually led Israel on his own behalf by hiring ruthless thugs to take control. Today we're going to look at Jephthah. And there's a lot we can learn about the gall of God by looking at, well, let me rephrase that. There's a lot we can learn on what is not the call of God by looking at the story of Jephthah. Judges chapter 11, we're going to read the first 11 verses. Now Jephthah of Gilead was a great warrior. He was the son of Gilead, but his mother was a prostitute. Have we not heard that somewhere before in the book of Judges? And if you remember what happened, it created severe family turmoil. This past Wednesday, Pastor Marcia and I were, were doing our little roundtable discussion. I love, I love doing that with Pastor Marcia. And we, we kind of decided that uh, polygamy is a bad thing. Okay? Um, nowhere, nowhere in the scriptures does it come out and say, if you commit polygamy, you're sinning against God. But it's pretty clear in every instance that we read of a man who has more than one wife, it ends up in family war. We see it with Abraham. We, 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 we saw it with Jacob. You see it with King David. He had children killing each other. So, polygamy, probably not the best thing to get involved in. So, he had a son of a prostitute. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. Soon he had a band of worthless rebels following him. You know what? If I go somewhere um, and I'm an honest person and I'm doing what's right, chances are I am not going to have a bunch of worthless rebels following me. Seems probably pretty logical, right? So this leads you to believe what kind of person Jephthah was. If he had a bunch of bad people following him, probably not a very good person him and a, himself. At about this time, the Ammonites began their war against Israel. When the Ammonites attacked, the elders of Gilead sent for Jephthah. Remember, it says the very first verse, he was a great warrior. Sent for Jephthah in the land of Tob. The elder said, come and be our commander. Help us fight the Ammonites. But Jephthah said to them, he was just pointing out the obvious. Don't you love it when people point out the obvious? Aren't you the ones who hated me and drove me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? Aren't you glad that this isn't how God handles us? Hey, listen. We need you to leave because you're not going to have any inheritance in our father's family. You need to get out of here. Sometimes we, we don't really say that to God. We don't tell God we want him to kind of leave, but we do leave him behind. 
We do sometimes, oh, we worship God. We love Jesus. I love you. I'm going to worship you. Sunday, great. But then we kind of walk away from him when we have things that maybe we want to do or we want to be involved in that he probably wouldn't be happy about. And usually it's not a conscious thing that we leave him behind. It's unconscious. And we run into that because, and we'll find later on today, that Jephthah was not very familiar with God and his principles. And it's usually because we're not close enough and familiar enough with Jesus and his principles that we walk away from him. So, let's keep going. Why you now come to me when you're in trouble? Because we need you. The elders replied, if you lead us in battle against the Ammonites, we will make you ruler over all the people of Gilead. You know, it's amazing how quickly hardship can change your way of, way of thinking or feeling about someone or something. Oh, I would never do that. And then you face some type of hardship and difficulty and life doesn't turn out the way you want. And then you find yourself doing the very thing that you said you wouldn't do because the situation led you there. Jephthah said to the elders, this is a great communication skill, by the way, just so you know. What he's about to do is what, if you have a hard time getting your spouse or, or your friend to understand you in any type of relationship, if you have a hard time getting them to understand or to you or you to understand them, have them repeat what is said. Because it clears a bunch of stuff up. It's really easy to misunderstand somebody. I told you a story not too long ago about me trying to share with my wife how much I love her. And she took it as I was, I was criticizing something about her. That's because I'm stupid sometimes. And I don't speak her language. I need to learn to speak her language better. So I need to just come out and say it plain so she understands it. The best way to understand and not misinterpret is to repeat what it said. So Jephthah said, does the exact same thing. He says, let me get this straight. So what you're saying is this. If I come with you, and if the Lord gives me victory over the Ammonites, you will really make me ruler over all your people? This is the same person that they said, you're a prostitute, son. Get out of here. You're not going to have any part of our family inheritance. And now they go to him, and they want him to rule over them. Not just have part of the inheritance, but make decisions for them. These people are stupid. You will really make me ruler over all the people. Verse 10, the Lord is our witness, the elders replied. We promise to do whatever you say. Oh, how the tables have turned. So Zephthah went to the elders of Gilead, and the people made him their ruler and commander of the army at Mizpah. And in the presence of the Lord, Jephthah repeated what he had said to the elders. 
I'm not, I'm not big on um, titling my messages. You know, whenever my wife does a bulletin, and before my wife did the bulletin, Pastor Chris would do the bulletin, and they would, they always do the same, they did the same, it's probably because they're both women. What's your title for your message? I don't like titles, because when you read a title, you get a preconceived idea of what the message is going to be about. And I want to avoid that. So I try not to make titles a big deal. But I think the title today fits this. Anybody know what the title is? I'll give you a hint. It's on the bulletin. Cart, horse, before. What does that give you an idea of? Don't put your cart before the horse. When I'm... Uh, my wife and I, we love to jog. Um, she loves to jog a little bit more than I do because I have to push the golf. I have to push the stroller. And when you are pushing something, it is much more difficult than when you are pulling something. Okay? So they actually have a device that you hook to your chest and your little infant sits in a... a uh, I don't know, a seat, something back there, and sits on the ground, and you jog, pulling your kid. I wouldn't do that with Eli, because I couldn't keep my eye on him. He'd crawl out of there, and I'd leave him two miles behind. There's something that he said about pulling as opposed to pushing. But, the idea, but, but here's the thing. When you get the cart before the horse, you're making presumptions about things. And that can be a dangerous thing. Kind of like the, the, whole, the whole thing, uh, don't count your eggs until they what? Yeah. So these people, they, they, ha they did this exact same thing. If you read in verse 911, it says, let me get this straight. If I come with you and the Lord gives you victory over me, there's an order of sequence here. You will really make me ruler over the people. So if I come with you, first thing, and I get victory, second thing, then you will make me ruler. Here's what actually happened. Jephthah went to the elders of Gilead. The people made him ruler and commander of the army. Whatever happened to the victory? Where is the victory in that? Jethro was pretty clear. God is going to show you that I'm supposed to be your ruler by me having victory. And these people are going, forget the victory part. We're just going to make you ruler. Putting the, putting the cars before the horse idea. When we are presented with decisions in our lives... We have to be attentive to the leading of God before we make the decision. Too many times we make a decision and then we say, oh, God, bless my decision. Instead of saying, God, hey, I have this decision I need to make. What should I do?
Listen and wait for God's decisions. Don't make God's decisions for him. We are the, we are the best. Church people are the best group of people to know what God wants. We are. And we're usually the best people to get it wrong. Oh, I, God's telling me to do this. And so I'm going to go do this. And then, it, and then it falls apart. And we say, God, how could you do this to me and let this fall apart? When in actuality, he would say, that's the wrong way. Sometimes we get ourselves in trouble because God promises us that he will walk through the fire with us. But he can't walk through the fire with us if we abandon him and chase the fire by ourselves. And that's what the elders of Gilead were doing. They were so eager to have somebody rule over them that they were willing to abandon the idea that God is blessing this and they were just going to follow this ruler because they think it's the right thing to do. And I, I, I preached a sermon a couple of weeks ago about how we rarely get it right on our own thinking. There's a way that seems right to the man, but in the end, it leads to death. We have to, instead of asking God to bless the purposes we have set in our lives, we need to align ourselves with God's purposes and let him bless us in those things. God's blessing will come when we align ourselves with his purposes, not when we pay, pray for his blessings on our purposes. Because usually... Let's be honest, usually our purposes are pretty self-serving. We are looking out for number one, usually ourselves. And if it's not evident that it is looking out for number one, there is a subtlety in that we're looking out for number one. I mentioned last week about I love, I go jogging with Jeanette when she wants to go jogging. Why do I do that? Because if I do that, then I know when I ask her to go golfing, she's going to let me go golfing. Well, yeah, I want to go jogging with my wife. But there's a hint of selfishness in, in that. If I do this, then we get something out of it. That is selfishness. God, if I obey you, are you going to bless me? Is that not selfishness? Granted. Obedience leads to blessings from God. But we can't put a demand on it. Are we making decisions in our lives and asking God to bless us, the decisions we make? I think of relationships. We get involved in, in a relationship. And I'm not just talking about a romantic relationship. Although it could be a romantic, it could be any type of relationship. It could be a, a, a business relationship. It could be a hobby relationship. We get involved in this committed relationship of any sort. And then once we're involved in that relationship, we say, okay, God, bless this relationship. When he didn't want it in the first place. 
Maybe we should be thinking before we get involved in those relationships, God, should I, should I get involved in this relationship? Should I get involved in this, this, this contract of sorts? And if he says no, okay, maybe not. That doesn't mean you have to avoid the person at all costs. But if we would take a minute and, and think, are we really living for God's purposes and, and seeking his blessing in that? Or are we asking him to bless our own purposes? Listen, it, it, we, could, we could talk about our health. God, oh, I need you to bless my health. Now, and I, and, I, and I don't want to downplay health issues, okay? But my mom struggles with a lot of health issues, and I love my mom to death. But some of those health issues that she is struggling with, she would not be struggling with if she would eat a little bit better, get a, maybe just a little bit of exercise, We say, oh, I have this ailment. Oh, I, uh, God, please help me. God, please help me. God, please help me. But we're not willing to find out if we're eating and exercising the way God maybe thinks we should. I understand. Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, physical exercise, physical training is of some value, but godliness is for all things. But there is an issue in our lives when we can't fulfill God's call because of our physical health that could have been prevented. Same thing with our finances. Where we put our money is as important as where we put our faith. And listen, I just bought a brand new driver. I buy things for myself every once in a while. Did I go and I say, okay, God, is this the driver you want me to get? Or do I need to get this one? Probably if I would have asked that question before I bought a driver, I might be, play better golf. I don't know. But, but, and it's funny as that might sound, but do we consider God's purposes in our finances, or do we just consider our purposes? Instead of, instead of investing here or there and then say, God, I pray that you will bless this investment. Shouldn't we rather pray, God, is this where I should invest it on my money? And then if he says yes, then let him bless it then. We try so often to pray that God will bless our decisions instead of living according to his purposes and allow us to bless his purposes for our lives and not our own. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called to his purpose for them. Why isn't this working out, God? Well, it could be that you're not aligning yourself to his purposes for your life. And that could be in a big scheme, or it could be in a, a small. We have to ask ourselves, are we really trying to 
live according to God's purposes, or do we just want God to bless our purposes and the decisions we have made? That's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, an idea that we have to get into our eyes. If we want to live in the call, not just the general call for all believers, but the specific call, is are we really living and trying to decide what God wants for us, or are we just asking God to bless our decisions? Now, don't get me wrong. God is very, very, if, if there's nothing you get out of the book of Judges, you should get the idea that God is bountiful in mercy and grace in our lives because he continually, after rebellion and rebellion and rebellion, God continually saved the Israelites from the, 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 their enemies. Over and over and over again it happens. This shows us that God is more than gracious and he's willing to do that in our lives. But think about the suffering they could have they could have avoided if they were willing to align themselves with God's purposes for their life. The same thing is for us. If we're willing to align our, our purposes with God's purpose, not only will he bless us, but we'll find peace and contentment like we've never had before. But putting the cart before the horse is only one aspect of, all, of many in, in finding God's purpose for our life. We feed another, another example is in Judges. Jessica's life again, Judges chapter 11, verses 29 to 39. This is what it says. At that time, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jessa. It would have been good if the, if the Gileads would have waited for God's spirit to be on Jessa before they made him ruler, but they didn't. But God was willing to work with that anyway. So the spirit came upon Jessa, and he went throughout the land of Gilead and Manasseh, including Mizpah and Gilead. Out from there he led an army against the Ammonites. And Jessa made a vow to the Lord. He said, if you give me victory over the Ammonites, I will give you the Lord whatever comes out of the house to meet me when I return in triumph, I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. What did he expect to come out of his house when he got home? A donkey? His wife? Oh, I didn't say that, did I? What, did he, what was he expecting to come out of his house? Yeah, okay, maybe back then they had animals who would wander into the house and maybe back out. What was he expecting? And what happened was what he least expected. So Jephthah led an army against the Ammonites, and the Lord gave him victory. He crushed the Ammonites, devastated about 20 towns from Aurora and in the area of Minith and as far away as Abel Kerimim, whatever that word is, anyway. In this way, Israel defeated the Ammonites. When Jephthah returned home, uh, to Mizpah, his daughter came out to meet him, playing on a tambourine and dancing for joy. She was his one and only child. He had no other sons or daughters. When he saw her, he tore his clothes in anguish. Oh, my daughter, he cried out, you have completely destroyed me. How in the world did she destroy him when she was not the one 
who made the vow. It was his fault. You've completely destroyed me. You've brought disaster on me, for I have made a vow to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. And he and she said, Father, if you have made a vow to the Lord, you must do to me what you have vowed, for the Lord has given you a vic- great victory over the enemies, the Ammonites. But first, let me do this one thing. Let me go up and roam the hills uh, and weep with my friends for two months, because I will die a virgin. You may go, Jesse said. And he sent her away for two months. She and her friends went into the hills and wept because she would never have children. Then she returned home. Her father kept the vow he had made, and she died a virgin. This is a tragic story, a tragic ending that could have been avoided. He falls in, he does something that I think probably most everybody, except for my wife, because I asked her and she said she hadn't done this before. We try and make a deal with God. He says, if you give me victory, I will sacrifice the first thing that comes out of my house. Jessica was playing, let's make a deal with God. God, if you give me victory, I'm going to do this. Haven't you done that before? Maybe you're more spiritual than I, because I've done it many times. Man, God, I'm in this financial situation, and I just don't know how I'm going to. But I tell you what, God, if you get me out of this financial situation, although I have not been faithful in, in giving you what you require financially, I will start giving you everything that you, if you just save me from this financial devastation. God saved me from that financial devastation. And I am pretty faithful for about two months. And then next thing you know, I find a better way to spend God's money. And it, it doesn't have to be finances. It could be anything. It could be relationship. God, I'm, this, my relationship is falling apart. If you, can just, if you can just help me heal this relationship, I've screwed up big time. If you can just help me heal this relationship, I promise from now on, I will not only serve you the best that I can, but I will treat this person the way you want me to treat this person. Four or five months after he saves this relationship, you were doing a good job. You were, you were pouring out, and you were serving, and you were doing exactly what God wants you to do. And then you get used to what's been going on. You forget how God saved you, and then you start slacking off on loving that person the way that God wants you to. You stop doing some of the things that God wants you to do. And then you get back into the same thing that God got you out of. Listen, there's a danger in making a deal, making a deal with God. The first danger is that we think that we can actually live up to the part of the bargain that we are making. God, I promise I will do this if you just help me. Eh. 
We, we, listen, you weren't able to do it before the devastating situation arrived. What makes you think you're going to be able to do it after the devastating situation arrived? Don't make a deal with God. Deuteronomy 23, 21 through 23 says this. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, be prompt in fulfilling whatever you promised him. For the Lord your God demands that you promptly fulfill all of your vows or you will be guilty of sin. Isn't that what Jephthah did? But, but that's not where it stops. It says, however, it is not a sin to refrain from making a vow. Here's the thing about Jephthah, is I have a, cl- I have a suspicion that he did not understand God or understand God's word. Or he probably wouldn't have made that vow. Listen, we get God all wrong sometimes. We need to understand that God isn't in the deal-making business. God is in the covenant business. God is not in the deal-making business. He doesn't want to play, let's make a deal. He wants you to participate in the covenant that he has established for you. Here's two big issues with trying to make a deal with God. The first one is that, as I mentioned before, we, can, we, can, we can't keep the deals we make with God. Because usually we promise things that we are not able to live up to. I, will, I promise I will never again falter in this way if you save me. But by the power of God completely transforming and changing your life, chances are you're going to fall into that same thing again and again and again, no matter how many times he saves you from it. We see that in the book, all throughout the book of Judges. The second danger in trying to make a deal with God is that what you're really doing is you're trying to you're trying to sell obedience to God. You're, tr- you're trading your obedience for him to get you out of this situation. Guys, you get, if you get me out of this situation, then I will, you will have my obedience. You're trying to make a change for God's, God's help for your obedience. That's a dangerous thing because your obedience should never depend on whether God's going to help you or not. Your obedience depends not on what God has done for you in the past, but on your love for him in the present. God wants us to live not by making deals. He wants us to live in the covenant he's established. And that covenant is the sacrifice that Jesus has made. 
that we can, we have a person that we can put our faith in, a person that died for everything that we've ever done wrong, a person that guarantees us we live in this covenant he guarantees us an eternity in heaven an eternity without pain an eternity without sorrow an eternity that we just can't understand because we live in a midst of world with pain and sorrow we are called not to be deal makers with God but to be covenant keepers with God. God is going to keep his covenant that he makes with us. The question is, are we going to live in that covenant? This doesn't mean that you're not going to make a mistake. You're going to make a mistake. If you're like me, you'll probably make it before the end of the day. But God's covenant is not established on whether we could be perfect. That's legalism. God's covenant is established because he loves us and he wants to spend eternity with us. There's so much, so much other things that we can learn from this, this story of Jephthah. If you, if you want to live in the covenant, see, living in the covenant is the first step in living the call, not just the general call, it is the first step in living the individual call that God has placed on your life. Because there are people that you can reach, there are people that you can minister to that I will probably never meet. There are people who will be in heaven because if you're willing to be obedient to God's call in your life, that I could never reach. As we close in prayer, maybe there's somebody here and, and you have, you've really screwed up. God, you know, I've tried. And, and you're in that and you're in that situation. You haven't yet made a deal with God, but things are bad, and you need help. Let me encourage you: don't try and make a deal with God. Skip the whole God. If you do this, I'll do this. Skip that and just start doing what God has told you to do. Just start living in the obedience he's put before you. And you know what will happen? You know what will happen? Whether he completely removes that situation or not, I don't know if that's going to happen, but I will guarantee you this, he will give you the strength and the peace to live through that situation. And it will be better for you on the other side than if you tried to make a deal with God. Maybe, maybe you're here and, and you've just kind of, kind of walked your own path. Yeah, I, I know. I love Jesus most of the time. And, and I know he has the best plan for me. 
But, you know, my way is a little more enjoyable. My way, you know, it suits me better than following God's path. Maybe God is speaking to your heart right now if you're in that situation. And he's saying, you just don't understand what I really have for you. Sure, maybe you're enjoying life a little bit here and there. But I have so much more for you if you will just listen. Maybe you have no relationship with God whatsoever. Maybe you're like, "Uh, you know, I'm here because somebody made me be here. Or I'm here, maybe you're here, you don't have a relationship with God and you're just interested. Listen, God is ready to take you from where you're at. And it doesn't matter where you are. God is ready to take you from where you're at to the next step in his purpose for your life. And it doesn't matter if you have been a Christian for 80 years or if you've been a Christian for eight days. What God wants for you is to take you to that next step in his relationship, in his covenant with you. So I want to pray with you. And I want to open the altars. Um, we're going to have uh, the worship team. They're going to be singing softly. I'm going to say a prayer. And, and I want you, if God is working on your heart in any situation at all, if, he's, if, he's, if you're trying to wrestle with something, if you're trying to work through something, or maybe you want to give your life to God, I want you to find a place up here and spend some time with God and let him work in and through your life. Sometimes you just got to wait for God. Not like, not like the elders in Gilead who said, hey, come be our king before they even knew the outcome. Sometimes we need to just wait for God and let him show us what he wants to Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. And I don't know where people are in their lives. I don't know the struggles they're necessarily going through or the problems that seem to be consistently barraging them with. I don't know. But I do know you love them and care for them for them more than anybody else in this entire world. I want you to reveal yourself to them. Maybe you're here and you and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're here and you've never had a relationship or you did at one point in time and you just kind of walked away from that relationship and it's not important to you anymore. God is saying it is never too late live in the covenant if that's you and you want to say Pastor Steve I want to recommit or I want to commit my life to walking in the covenant that God established through the sacrifice of Jesus if that's you I want, to ra- I want you to raise your hand so I can, I can pray with you 
And I want you to commit. Commit to loving Jesus. Jesus, I just pray for everybody who is committing, committing to the covenant that you have established. I want to pray that you would give them strength, that they would confess their sins, that they would turn away from their sins, that they would rely on you to be their Lord, rely on you to be their Savior. Forgive me of things that I've done that displeases you. Help me to live. Help me to walk daily in the calling you've placed on my life. To be the husband that you've called me to be. To be the father that you desire for me. To lead this church the way you would lead it. You want to take a few minutes minutes and come to the altar and pray feel free to the worship team is going to sing a little bit but let's just let's just wait on God as he speaks to us sing this song one more time. Let's worship. of my heart. 
strong, fight the faith that we have in our hearts, fight strong for the faith, we love you, and we thank you, and all this we ask in your name, amen, amen, listen, if, if, if you made a decision today or God touched you in some way, God helped you in some way. I want you to send me an email and tell me about it. Um, you can find me on Facebook and, and message me, or you can send an email, Steve at newbcchurch.com. I want to hear about what God is doing in your guys' life. So if, if, if something happened, it doesn't have to be long. Just shoot me a text or shoot me an email and let me know. All right? Love you guys. Us and we will see you next week.